Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Whatever we can do to stop any death, whether it be a fire death, a child being ejected from a car, or a senior you know, just without the resources that they need. That's what public education has been doing to try to help that. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the first woman in the 162-year history of the Chicago Fire Department ever to serve as Chicago's fire commissioner, Annette Nance Holt. Congratulations for breaking the glass ceiling and welcome. Good morning, and thank you, Fran. I have great admiration for you, and I did long before you became Chicago's first female fire commissioner. You turned and have turned your personal pain into purpose and created a foundation by that very name, Purpose Over Pain. Your 16-year-old son, Blair Holt, an honor student at Julian High School, was shot to death in 2007 while riding the bus home from school. He was killed while trying to shield a friend after a gang member opened fire at a rival gang member on a crowded CTA bus after school. Annette, I can't even imagine the pain you must have gone through and are still living through as his mom. And to be the mom of such an outstanding and brave young man, how did you manage to turn that pain into so much purpose? Well, I think number one, having a son as great as Blair, it was really easy to do because I know he would want me not to give up. He would want me to keep fighting and he wouldn't want to see any other young people suffer the same tragic end as he did. So just thinking about Blair and, you know, his spirit moving in me, it was easy for me to come together with other parents who had lost children the same way I did to gun violence and actually good children, not children out here doing things we didn't expect. And not that kids should be killed anyway, but these were kids who were doing everything we asked them to do and they were in the right place at the right time. So then Mayor Daly, um, he actually brought a lot of us together and we formed this group Purpose Over Pain. So um, it continues to do work even today. I continue to work and talk to parents about loss of children. I lost my only child. So, um, you know, I just hate the feeling that we all have to be part of this uh, sorority or fraternity of unfortunate people whose children were snatched away in the prime of their lives, and they should be here today. It must pain you even more to see how little progress Chicago has made in combating gang violence. The last two weekends, marred by mass shootings, tied very clearly to gang retaliation and street justice. Yeah, um, it, it is very painful to see so many, especially black and brown lives, just any life snatched by gun violence because it's truly unnecessary. 
But I have come to the conclusion that the police can't do this alone. And I've said this for a while. The only way to be gun violence is for neighbors to take back their neighborhoods and take charge of their blocks. And I know people are afraid, but I think if we all stand together and each individual takes back their own block, goes out there and makes a difference, even as little as mowing the grass of abandoned property, making sure it's boarded up by calling city services. You know, whatever it is to make a difference, just to change this dynamic, because if we're waiting for help to come, good luck, because help ain't coming. Help is right in your own neighborhood, and we got to start there. The Chicago Fire Department, where you have served for the last 30 years, has a long and documented history of discrimination and racial hijinks. At your confirmation hearing, you promised to diversify this department, in part by holding entrance and promotional exams on a regular basis, beginning with the first entrance exam since 2014, sometime later this year or early next year. You outlined a four-point plan to put your own stamp on a department that you said is in strong shape, but in need of modernization. Let's talk about your four points. You've said your highest priority is this diversity, a department that is now almost 60% white, 16% Hispanic, 14% black overall, and even more white in its exempt ranks. How do you plan to do that? Okay, so number one, um, it's funny you would ask, today, um, we had a promotion. So my exempt staff, that's really the easiest place for me to start to diversify because I can put my own stamp on those people who are actually qualified to do these jobs. So effective today, um, my first deputy is a woman, Mary Sheridan, with over 40 years of uh, experience on the fire department. Um, the assistant deputy fire commissioner of EMS is a Hispanic, Juan Hernandez, and he has over 20 years of experience on the department. And then I have um, Mark Furman as my deputy fire commissioner, who's an African-American male, who's my uh, commissioner of all city operations. And then I moved Greg Stinnett from assistant uh, from district from assistant deputy chief paramedic to district chief over EMS operations. And he's an African-American male. And I did make a few uh, white males as well, but this is only my first wave of promotions and how I can diversify the exempt ranks. Um, I can continue to do that once I fix a, a salary compression issue. But right now that's my first step. And I think it's a very uh, dramatic step. There have never been, uh, two women, not one woman to run the fire department, letting all two, the one directly under me is a woman. So I think in ways this shows a historic step in making change in the Chicago fire department. Now, as far as entry level, we will pan, we will do whatever we have to do in the neighborhoods and communities that are underserved in all of Chicago to encourage young people to apply for this great profession. So we can put everything out there that we can and then once they get here, it will be another job to mentor them to um, make sure that they're successful. So your your leadership team is a white woman, a mm -hmm. Hispanic man, and two African-American men or three. Right. Or and two, I have, two African-American men. Right. And I have others that were already in place when I took this position that are still there. So and, and some of those are uh, white males. So, yeah. Yeah, this is the first step. And by taking Mary Sheridan, who's head of EMS right now, you're elevating the role of EMS in this department, which make up two thirds of the calls, right? And that is exactly correct. And that's the reason why I did it. And it's not unheard of to have a person 
who was um, EMS, to be a first deputy because we had Cortez Trotter, who was a first deputy. And he ended up actually being the commissioner for the Chicago Fire Department. And he was EMS in that lane. So you don't necessarily have to be of the fire realm to do this. These are administrative and we do do uh, fire and tactical things as well. Mary can still do the EMS tactical part of this. Uh, She is a great asset. She is very um, determined. She has proven herself. She's been here over 40 years. So if anybody knows what it feels like to be like one of the first or near that, it's Mary Sheridan. And I'm confident in Mary. That's why I picked her. And uh, she has strong leadership skills. So together, over 70 years of experience with the top two of us up here at the helm. And what about the number of ambulances, which is now 75 ALS Advanced Life Support Ambulances? Don't we need more? We have 80, actually, Fran. So you oh, have 80? 80 of them. Okay, yeah. sorry. So let me let me share this with you. Ambulances, yes, they do transport people to the hospital, but we have already started another model. It's called MIH, Mobile Integrated Health. So a lot of calls that our ambulances go on, some of these people don't go to the hospital. They're just calling because they have frequent underlying conditions that require maybe um, talking to someone or getting some type of assistance. So our mobile integrated health is like a nice model where we have two paramedics in a smaller vehicle responding to our patients who are our citizens who need just that type of help. Maybe it's something with compliance with medicine. Maybe they need a blood, a blood pressure check. Maybe they're having a um, some problem with asthma or some other type of breathing issue. So these are the things that will take the strain off of the ambulances. But, you know, in addition to our ambulances responding, we have our um, companies, our fire companies, both uh, engines and trucks that are ALS, advanced life, life support, which have paramedics on them. And they do have drugs and everything else. They just can't transport. So they arrive on the scene first. And I have been the captain on an ALS engine, and I've worked on many ALS uh, uh companies as a lieutenant and what you find out is sometimes people just want somebody to come like i say take your blood sugar take your blood pressure um give you an asthma treatment whatever it is they don't want to go to the hospital so i think that's something that's going to help us a lot and it's going to keep the um, emergency rooms less clogged and not tie up the um transport of a ALS ambulance that actually needs to get to a person, maybe a gunshot maybe a stabbing or maybe somebody having a heart attack which is more critical at this point So what are these smaller vehicles you're talking about? Well, I haven't seen them yet. We're ordering them and they're going to be like um, possibly a sprinter van or maybe a smaller uh, form of a vehicle that two paramedics will respond to respond in to a citizen's home. So we kind of did a little bit of this during COVID when we were out there doing homebound and actually giving vaccinations to people for COVID against COVID-19. And before that, when we had a lot of police and fire on layup due to COVID, because COVID hit us as well, they would go out and do a well-being check on them to see, like, do vitals, see if they needed any other assistance. Because some people are actually going to be long haulers from COVID, and they continue to follow up with these as well to try to get our people back to work if possible. So this is an alternative to more ambulances. How many of these little vehicles are we going to see? Well, right now we're going to say we're going to say because I'm waiting for the whole model because this is going to expand to something else like mental health components and probably um, opioid crisis. So right now we're going to tell you five. I'm, I'm anticipating it's going to be greater than that. Greater we're building than that. Our program. Yes. I'm saying right now, let's say five, but it's probably going to be greater than that because of COVID shutting down everything. 
trying to acquire vehicles. As you know, it's publicly in the market now that people can't get cars, you can't get vehicles. We have to wait and see what we can get our hands on. We're experiencing that as well as first responders. And what kind of calls will these little vehicles respond to? What can they do and what can't they do that ambulances can? Okay, so they what, what will happen is that the clientele that they will be going to are people who their clinics or their doctors, they'll be referred to us as a referral. And this will be an option to them opposed to just calling 911. So like I said, someone who may be a diabetic, somebody with congestive heart failure that just needs to be checked to see if they have fluid. Um, it will be things like that. But anything that's life-threatening, 911 will be that number that you dial to get transported and get emergency care. And the goal is what with these smaller vehicles? To take well, the, the goal, strain off 911 or the ambulance is what? Well, the goal is, is, is multifaceted, actually. It's to take the strain off the emergency rooms and the healthcare services. It's to reduce the calls through 911. I think Trotter, uh, Commissioner Trotter tried to do this when he did BLS ambulances, something in a similar vein, but not quite the same. But it's to help people and meet them where they are. We have an aging population. You have a lot of older people. And during COVID, we could see more than ever. People didn't want to leave their homes and they couldn't get to the hospitals. So people who have some COVID morbidities will be able to meet them where they are and assist them. And this will take the strain off of insurance companies, emergency rooms, healthcare systems, um, ambulance, and, and divert our ambulances to more critical people. And that's really what the goal is. It's not to and it'll kill speed people. response times for ALS ambulances were for the real emergencies then. Right. It, it, it should help alleviate that and get us to the real emergencies. Okay. And this is the, this is what you meant when you talk about rethinking and reemphasizing emergency medical EMS. services. That yeah, is that, exactly. This is the plan. Yeah. And this is and the plan so you, to reimagine it. And so you, will they also handle mental health calls? At this time, we are, we are working together with the city and with mental health agencies and our resource hospitals to put together, yes, indeed, to take the strain off of police response and other responses and divert people to where they can get help to the appropriate facilities instead of just taking them to general facilities, to the facilities that will receive them and understanding how we deal with mental health calls. So this will be really great for the city. Uh, it'll be great for everybody. And for people who, who have to suffer with mental health, you know, they won't be overlooked. We're considering that opioid crisis is another thing. And being a deputy, when I was on the West side, opioid is, the opioids are out there. They're not even on just on the West side, they're on the South side too, but there is definitely a need for a different model that takes the strain off of ambulances because they really, a lot of people don't need to be transported behind that. But you're not going to reduce the number of ambulances from the current, you say, no, 80. Absolutely not. That is not the goal to reduce them. It's just to add another layer to help us keep our most needed resources for those citizens who need them the most. And what is the cost of these uh, little vehicles? You and know what? I'm not sure exactly from? what the cost is, Fran, because we don't purchase those. That's through AIS. That's through okay. our facilities. Right. They purchase them. We don't. Three years ago, five female paramedics accused their bosses of sexual harassment. They allege that the Chicago Fire Department directly encourages, encourages that illegal behavior by failing to discipline, supervise, and control its officers. They called it a code of silence. Chicago taxpayers are now being forced to pay the price through a $1.8 million settlement. The lawsuit that they 
filed said there was a pattern of indifference underscored by the failure to maintain adequate separate bathrooms and separate sleeping quarters and all firehouses and failure to administer sexual harassment training and all these uh, threatening and intimidating women who dare to report this. And the inspector general even said the same thing in April. You as a woman, I assume, have, have experienced discrimination or harassment throughout your career, or at least at some point in your career. Am I right? I would say when I walked in the door, I wasn't pleasantly welcomed. That's what I would tell you. How, um, how however, unpleasantly were you welcomed? Well, I mean, when I came in the door, I had I went to Bridgeport. I went to a firehouse that was predominantly white and male, basically. And, um, you know, coming on as one of the first few, I guess we only had one woman, a lone woman in 1980, Lauren Howard. So she was by herself until 1986 when they started hiring uh, groups of women. Until then, she was by herself. So it's only so much you can do. And this is a culture that they have to get used to having women in the firehouse as their equals, as their counterparts. So it, t- it takes a lot of education. And let me just say, of course, I've had some things happen, but let me, I, I was able to put them in check. I did not take things, um, dog food in my coat. Okay, take it and put it in your coat. That's, that's really to the extent of things that happen. Take my helmet. Okay, whatever. But they do that together. Wait a minute. So you had dog food put in your coat? I came on in 19, I came on in 1990 and I went to a house in Bridgeport and I did have dog food put in my coat. I mean, I was like, okay, I'll put it back. I'll put it in somebody else's coat. Good. That's the way I reacted to it. See, I think it depends on what you're looking at. We can't, we can't be part of the game. We got to stand up and be different from that. And let me say, I didn't tolerate it. I'm not going to tolerate it now. I'm definitely not going to tolerate it. But what so are you going to do have, now that we have you, already you got the inspector general who says this continues to this day? What yeah. will you do as the first woman commissioner to stop this macho culture? OK, let me say this, Fran. There's a macho culture in America. It's not just in the fire service. And yes, this is a male dominated job. It is. However, everyone is welcome on this department. We have already started trauma informed training for our internal affairs division. Now I have a new assistant commissioner in internal affairs and he is committed to doing these things that need to be put in place according to the inspector general's report. We I've sat down with my counsel and with him and we've discussed all the things we need to do. We have had sexual harassment training according to DHR's code and it was above and beyond what they asked for. The inspector general said we should have training from somebody in the fire service. So we would have to get money in order to do that. But we have been doing the training. Let's remember, these are human beings. These are people that are in in society every day. These are not like angels. Nobody is perfect. So if we have issues, we will deal with them. We will handle them. But it goes both ways. Men have been harassed as well. And I got to be fair. I got to be fair, not just women. And I know we're talking about women. But we are determined to fix this problem. Will I eradicate it totally? No, it's impossible. It's like saying I'm going to eradicate gun violence. I don't think I ever can. But Will I you can't be making physical changes to the layout of these firehouses so that women have the washrooms they need, the locker rooms they need, the separate we sleeping have. quarters they need. 
You've right. done we that? Have, is it done? We have, listen, no. It, friends, you're not big the city of Chicago is. Come on. Yeah, We yeah. have a large city, our AIS, which the facilities do not belong to us. They belong to our AIS facility. And they are the ones making the changes for privacy rooms, for trying to redo the bathrooms. A lot of these facilities are out of date. And they're trying to do the best they can with what they have to actually fix things where they can't put locker rooms, where they can't put sleeping quarters. So we do have houses that are like that. As we build new facilities, that is the first thing on the table. So as we built this new engine company, 115, you have that. You have a, a separate locker room. You have all of these things in place. So that's what has to happen. These firehouses are over 100 years old, and they really weren't built with us in mind. So we're trying to address that every time we consider rebuilding, remodeling, or doing any types of updates to these firehouses. So that is my goal. Jim Tracy, the president of Local 2, the Firefighters Union, has acknowledged that he and Lightfoot are miles apart on a long-term contract. He's made a strong case for maintaining the minimum staffing rule that requires at least five employees for every piece of fire apparatus. The mayor has vowed to confront this issue of staffing levels and reconcile the number of firehouses in Chicago with the decline in fires and a surge in ambulance calls. How do you feel about that? Are there firehouses that could be closed or consolidated? So let me just tell you this. In all transparency, I cannot con comment on negotiated uh, things. I will not talk about any negotiations. I can't do that. Well, but I mean, are there things in the firefighters contract perks that, that could be eliminated, more variances from the minimum manning requirement, any of that stuff to you're save money? You're asking me money. the same thing, Fran. You're asking me yeah. the same thing. I can't comment on negotiations. I cannot and I will not. So you that's talked about salary compression. This is a problem where, uh, let's talk about what that problem is. So salary compression, what it looks like is that my exempt members, anybody above a battalion chief, they have been compressed. The salaries have been compressed due to the fact that every time we have a, a, a raise or a contract uh, for union members, their salaries go up and our salaries stay the same. So that has caused salary compression. We, we actually have battalion chiefs right now that make more than my first, my next level of appointed, which is deputy district chiefs. And we are working to try to fix that. Yeah. And that's been a problem for a long time. And you've had people who have returned to their career service rank because that's of it, true. because they're, 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 it's costing them big money. It's true. And I, I truly understand that. And I don't, I'm not, I don't slight that at all. But we are working to try to make a difference. I know the former commissioner tried. I'm going to be trying to make that difference um, because we need more help in the exempt ranks. And we want right, aren't you? Don't you have openings? Don't you have a oh, lot yeah. of openings? How oh, many? Yeah. How many right now? Have, let's just say I have quite a few openings in, in the deputy district chief rank. Not a ton. Um, I could stand five or six immediately would help me. But right now we're, we're working and they're working really well with us to help us. So right now, battalion chiefs are stepping up into the deputy rank to help me out as far as acting up in that position. So we're all working together to make this work. And I don't think anybody did that to make it fail. It's just the fact that they're, make, they're working more and getting less. And I understand. A lot right, of us but, but don't you need them to fix this? This has been a problem literally for years. Of course. But let me say this, Fran. Not only is it a problem in the fire department, it's a problem in the police department, too. I've been talking with them. They have the same issue, and it has been going on. 
So um, it's going to have to be a substantial fix to make this, um, you know, equitable or for people wanting to actually come to these positions. But we are working on it. I am hopeful and prayerful every day that we're going to get this settled so I can get some relief. Chicago ended 2020 with 22 fire deaths, a 50% reduction from 2019. But through February 25th of this year, there had already been 13 fire fatalities. And before his mandatory retirement, your predecessor, Richard Ford, sounded the alarm about how many homes lack working smoke detectors. Where are we now on fire fatalities? I think I want to give you about 32. I think I'm somewhere in the 32 to 35 range right now. And I attribute some of this to the fact that we had COVID. Uh, COVID didn't allow us to go out into the community. We couldn't go and engage with our seniors um, for fear that COVID, of course, would spread or we would get it. So uh, we have been with initiatives. We've identified actual areas where we had um, high fire deaths. I think the 21st ward with Brookings is the one we went to first and we went over there and we rang the bell over there and we actually gave out a lot of smoke detectors. We have people lined up early in the morning before we even started getting smoke detectors. We also created a list for seniors at risk. So seniors who live in their homes and they need additional help. They might need us to install a smoke detector. They might need a carbon monoxide detector or some other resource to help them as independent seniors. Well, we signed up a bunch of people for that too. Um, our public education unit, we need to grow it as well. I'm gonna tell you that we don't have enough people to do all the things that need to be done with all the different wards in this city. So we are looking at increasing our manpower there as well. But COVID really put, um, smothered us basically we couldn't do anything we had to actually start doing virtual with kids um, so we started engaging with teachers and schools because kids teach their parents about what to do what's right and what's wrong so we actually did that as well um, but we are out there in the community again we just did a, another event um, with car seats and leaving your kids in a car doing the heat heat waves so that's another initiative we got stop the bleed where when we have all these gunshots we've actually been able to impact. We went to St. Sabina Academy and we talked to a group of youth and actually a little girl got, she got shot and another girl was actually able to use what she learned to save her friend. So these are initiatives that we have. We're going across the city. We have more initiatives that we're rolling out. We started, like I said, we've been on the south side, we're going north and then we're going west again. But um, whatever we can do to stop any death, whether it be a fire death, a child being injected from a car, or a senior, you know, just without the resources that they need. That's what fire prevention has, has been doing. I mean, public education has been doing to try to help that. The last two fire commissioners, your two predecessors, um, were mandatorily retired at age 63. Is it time mm -hmm. to get rid of that? Isn't 63 the new 53, as we hear? Well, you know what? Sometimes I, I look at that. I know our EMS, they don't have a retirement age. You can look at it, the pros and cons. The pro is if somebody retires at 63, then you make a space for somebody new to come behind. If we let people stay until they're 80, I think we had one commissioner, Quinn. I think he did 40 years in the fire service. I mean, as a commissioner or some crazy, and I might be wrong on the numbers, but I'm just saying, how do we get new ideals? How do we give younger people an uh, opportunity to step up to the helm and make a change or try to make a difference and take departments in a different direction? 
You know, it gives growth. It lets people move up because every time one person moves up, the people behind them have to move up into that spot. So I think it's a good thing. EMS, we don't we don't have that per se. They don't have a mandatory retirement age. And we have a mandatory age in which you could come on. You have to at least be under 38 by the time you have to be. If you're over 38, you can't come on the fire department. EMS, you can come on at any age as long as you can do the job. So, so it's you're for the mandatory retirement age. I think it's pros and cons. I mean, right now I'm not 63, but I think if I were and I had to go, I'd go. That's just yeah. me telling you. I'm I'm not yeah. I'm neutral on it. I'm very neutral. And before we let you go, how far away is the Chicago Fire Department from being a welcoming place for women and for blacks and Hispanics? So you see me. So guess what? They're welcome now. I used to be the president of the African-American Firefighters League, and I fought a long time to get uh, blacks and even Hispanics. I worked with the Hispanic organization to get inclusion within the department. You know what? When I when I was uh, appointed the other day, it was we were welcomed in and we've been welcomed since I've been the first deputy since the last fire commissioner. I just think we need to get more uh, Hispanics and blacks to apply for these great jobs to come in and serve in their communities, because I think that's the key to changing this. So young people can see this as a career. So many people have heard horror stories about the fire department. So of course it wouldn't be welcoming. But once you walk in that door and you make your own mark, you're accepted, you're welcome. I'm not gonna say nothing bad is ever gonna happen to you, but that's never gonna be it. That's not the reason not to join this department because I'm here, I've been here over 30 years. And I started out feeling that way. But guess what? Look where I am today. So I'm determined to make a difference in this department. And I've told the newly promoted people today in an email this morning, I sent to them saying, congratulations. I like to win. Roll up your sleeves. Let's get in and do this. That's my mandate. And Ed Holt, thank you for joining us. Best of luck on this endeavor. You've got your work cut out, but of you're course. up to the challenge. <laughs> and we will see you all next week. Okay. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate you. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.